0: Welcome to the Rise Resolute Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Meyer, a doctor of physical therapy committed to helping people live healthfully, joyfully, and push past even their own expectations for their life. Friends, this is an unprecedented time in our world. We are all struggling to find peace and strength in the midst of this health crisis. But one thing I know for sure is that our connection to each other even if it has to be six feet apart or further, can make all the difference. I'm committed to helping us stay as connected and as positive as possible during this time. So it is my pleasure to continue to bring you stories of grit and perseverance from amazing women who have powerful insight that we can potentially apply to our current struggles. My next guest has dealt with re-injury after re-injury, Her story of perseverance is sure to lift you up. Here's the interview. It is my pleasure to have Debbie Strand on the program today. She is a physical therapist. She is an athlete. She's a mother. She's a wife. And she's currently living in Sweden. So I'm so excited that she took some time out of her day to come on and chat with us and tell us a little bit about her unique journey. So welcome, Debbie.
1: Thank you, Gina. Um, My name is Debbie. I'm 57 years old. I live in Sweden, my husband's Swedish. Um, as Gina said, I'm a physical therapist specializing in sports medicine. Um, I have been involved in sports and sports and athletics all my life. I would say it's my passion and my joy in life. Um, in high school, I was a field hockey player and I started running to stay in shape for field hockey. And I just kept running more and more. And so when I got to college, I decided I would like to go out for the cross country team. So I went out for cross country and track and ended up being the women's cross country uh, captain for three years. I also did some intramural sports in college. I played softball and soccer. And I even joined the swim team for a couple of months when I was recovering from a running injury. And I competed a little in swimming as well. And after college, I kept running and swimming. And one day I was swimming at the Y and I saw a sign for Taekwondo. So I decided to try it. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, uh, I liked it and I did that for a year. And then I got married and moved to Sweden and we have two boys. And so for a while I was just running and then I was standing at the bus stop, and I, I saw a sign for Karate Club, and um, they have they had a, um, a group for older people, so I decided to join, and I did karate for a while, and I did jujitsu with my boys for a couple of years, and then when I was 45, I decided I would go out for the black belt in karate, and so I... Um, Went to London to a karate camp where our grandmaster was going to um, uh, have the black belt test, and um, it, just about an hour before the black belt test, we were going through some techniques with the grandmaster, and I did a jump kick and I injured my knee very badly. I I uh, tore my ACL, oh. which is a ligament in the knee and so I couldn't continue and I was just sitting on the bench kind of shocked like I couldn't believe this was happening right when I was all these years I was training for the black belt and then the, the grandmaster came over and he sat down next to me and we were started talking and he, uh, he told me that he had been watching me throughout the karate camp and that he was giving me the black belt
0: Aww. so that
1: was really amazing um but it turned out that I ended up having to have five surgeries on that knee. And the first one was in 2008. And the last one was 2018. So I'm still
0: still struggling. What a crazy journey. Yeah. So it was right before you were going to compete for the black belt that you that this happened. It was like an hour before you said?
1: Yeah, (sighs) we we were just doing like the Everyone who was going to be going out for the black belt tests was going through the techniques with the Grandmaster.
0: Wow. Unreal how these things happen, isn't it? Well, I think that's a perfect spot to stop and introduce the quote that you've chosen for the episode, because not only does it apply so well to the story that you've, you know, the things that you've gone through here and the ACL injury, um, but also to what we are going through in this world today and the craziness that's kind of surrounding us. And so I think that the quote that we're going to share right now by Winston Churchill is very special. So I'm going to do that now. And the quote is this, if you're going through hell, keep going. Keep going. And that's so applicable to what I'm sure happened after you tore your ACL, Debbie. So give us some more information on how the rehab process went for you. So you, you tore your ACL. They gave you the black belt, which was amazing anyway. And yeah. then you went through all of these surgeries between 2008 and 2018. Um, how, how was that for you? Was it completely challenging every step of the way?
1: Yeah, um, the first the first one in 2008, uh, I was very determined to get back to karate, and that was my motivation. Um, I didn't document it, though, which I sort of regretted when, when I injured my knee again. Yeah, it was tough. I think it's been tougher the second time around, though. Uh, it's been a longer recovery, and um, what happened was uh, the first ACL, um, what they do is they repair... The ACL by taking a a tendon, and it could either be your own tendon or it could be from a donor. And I got the one from the donor. And what happened is that it didn't really take. It it sort of kind of eroded slowly over the years. So I never knew that there was anything wrong. I thought I'd closed that chapter of my life, and I was just going on as usual. And but it had been getting like weaker and weaker and thinner and thinner. And I was, I was just doing some exercises. It was kind of like sort of these jumping exercises. And I heard this strange kind of tearing noise (sighs) and um, I, uh, I, it wasn't painful. So I thought, Oh, that's nothing. But I noticed my knee was a little wobbly. And then a few weeks later I was just walking and I heard that sound again. And my knee just like collapsed. And uh, as my knee collapsed, it twisted and it broke a part of the meniscus as well. Um, (laughs) It's called a bucket handle tear and it, so the meniscus kind of flips over and it got stuck in the joint line. Um, So when they went in to take that away, she said that, the doctor said that um, your ACL is, is like completely useless. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really, it was a shock and I didn't want to go through it again. I didn't want to go through the surgery and the whole process again. I couldn't believe it. Um, so I thought, well, I'll rehab for a year and just try and get the knee stable without having to operate. And that was pretty much the toughest year, um, that I've ever gone through because my disability, um, was so bad. I really couldn't do anything. Um, I sort of describe it like having a sheet of ice under one foot and trying to, you know, manage in that way. And, it just felt like my freedom and my independence was gone. And that was like really the hardest thing was just having to to deal with that from going from one day to being really, really active and sort of kind of like at the top to being, you know, feeling like a like you're like eight years old or something. Right.
0: Yeah, so difficult. I wanna elaborate a little bit. Um, I know many of us out there are familiar with an ACL injury, but for those who are not, um, the, the ACL is a really important ligament inside your knee. It's a cruciate ligament. And what it does is it checks anterior translation of the tibia on the femur. But what that means for people who are not physical therapists is that it helps keep the knee stable. Um, and so if you're an active person and you have a shredded ACL and the ACL is not functioning, yes, you feel completely unstable and it can really affect your ability to to do almost anything. So um, you can try and rehab, and I'm sure they were strengthening hamstring and all that stuff to try to stabilize your knee. Um, But ultimately, um, the ACL is very important. So I can't imagine what you went through in that year. So after you've completed that year, um, Debbie, what happened from there?
1: Yeah, I after a while, I realized that, um, you know, I I wasn't going to be able to get that knee stable enough. um, And so I wanted to I knew that I had to get surgery in order just to have hope of of having, you know, even a normal life. Because I mean, quite honestly, I couldn't I couldn't move things, I couldn't open doors, I had to get rides everywhere because I, I really couldn't walk that well either. I yeah. definitely couldn't run. So I knew I had to have surgery. So I was kind of feeling like desperate. And I um I I wanted to get a certain kind of graft um, because just the whole idea of taking a tendon from my body was just kind of not not really something I wanted to do but um, so I went to the first doctor and he was kind of like oh what do you need to be able to do those things for and to me it was just kind of simple things like you know doing a one-leg plank or one leg toe raises or heel raises or something like that. And he was like, oh, you don't need to do that. Um, isn't that kind of extreme? And uh, <laughs> he uh, he was saying, oh, he just assumed because of my age that I had arthritis. And so it's oh, and what does it matter if you're a little stiff in the morning? And I was like, I'm never stiff in the morning. I mean, mornings are great. So he just totally didn't get it. And I was like about to cry. And then he looked at my MRI and my x-ray and he said, you know, this is too complicated for me because he could see that there was um, the screw was in a strange place. They would have to remove it um, and the tunnels, they, they have to drill tunnels through your leg and it had widened um, and he didn't think that he could handle it. So he referred me to another doctor and it was like night and day. This doctor, he understood. He was like, yeah, let's do this. He could see that I was you know, athletics was my life, and I was active, and and, and so that was great. He, I, he, he saved my life, and I told him that, too. I said, you know, you, you saved my life, and thank you for listening to me and believing in me. And um, I've regretted it, yeah, so. Absolutely,
0: yeah. And I just, I I love that you pressed on and that you were like, no, I'm not gonna stop doing the things that I love. And these are the things I wanna be able to do. So I'm gonna do them, you know? I'm not gonna let anyone tell me that, you know, don't worry about it. I think that that's, no matter what age we are, um, you know, it's never never too late. And um, so I think that's really powerful for people to remember if, you know, if they are, in the, in the other older part of their lives that it's, you know, still a value to, to push and to be as healthy as you can be and try to be um, devoted to living your best life. And I think that uh, clearly that's what you were doing, Debbie. So how did you ultimately get through this? How are you doing after the 2018 surgery where there are some people who were very integral in helping you along this path? Um, Share some of those things with us.
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, uh, for one thing, I got through it because I am—I'm kind of stubborn and and determined, and that that helped a lot. And um, also, kind of always been positive, like seeing the, the the brighter side of things. But it was also really really tough to keep my spirits up. And the ACL um, the recovery is difficult. There's a lot of complications that are possible. It's never a straight line. There's a lot of setbacks, and there's a lot of worry. Um, so, uh, what helped me a lot actually is sort of what you talk about, Gina, um, just connecting with people and to listen to podcasts and people telling their stories and connecting on social media, um, and just realizing that I'm not alone. There are other people who understand and they feel the same way. And even listening to, you know, younger people or, professional athletes who are feeling the same way um, really helped. And I started doing mindfulness meditation, which is really good. I would probably wouldn't have started doing it um, otherwise, but it really helps, helps the, um, the mental part of it, how to think,
0: Right, um, right. Oh, I just got a little chill when you said that you um, connecting to others is helpful, and that's what, of course, what we're all about. And I really do yeah. believe that, and I'm committed to that. And especially during this time in our in our country, my country here, and throughout the world, when we're all struggling with the unknown here with this health crisis, mm-hmm. our ability to connect to one another is so powerful. And it has such meaning and to hear you say that, that it helped you through your injury, um, just, you know, really knocks it home that this is, this is the way to go to connect to one another, whether it's, um, you know, over, over the airwaves, um, with a phone call, with a text, um, on some kind of a message, um, platform, just the connections we make can be so powerful. So I love to hear you say that. Um, Mm -hmm. So Debbie, take us back to when the injury originally happened or maybe the setback happened. Um, And this is not a question about regret. This is more of a question about um, something that someone might be able to apply if they're in the very beginning stages of an injury like this or of a struggle. Is there anything you wish that you would have known that could potentially help someone else who is going through um, something similar or a different struggle in their own life.
1: I just really just want to say never, never, never give up. Just never give up yeah I like
0: it yeah totally true and I know that you've kind of connected a lot to the message of you know being uh, on the podcast I've had many young young athletes and athletes come in all ages and I really like that we're including this this component of someone in their 50s who is committed to athletics and committed to athletic mindset and um, do you want to say anything more about that about being a little bit um, on the other side of the spectrum and the challenges I know that the doctor probably probably was one who gave you a great challenge, but by kind of telling you, well, do you really need to do these things? Um, (laughs) But do you want to speak more to the challenge of being on the the other side of the spectrum a little bit? Your age is by no means old, but it's, you know, on the older end of those who I've interviewed. So I want to, I want to give you the opportunity to speak to that a bit.
1: It's sort of influenced the fact that, that maybe I thought I wouldn't do surgery right away because I'm older and maybe I could, you know, just take it a little more easy. Um, So in that sense, it affected me. Um,
0: Interesting. Yeah. uh,
1: In in that sense, it was sort of like the way I was thinking about myself. Um, I didn't think of myself as not being able to do, you know, the things that I love to do, but I also thought, oh, maybe I could adjust
0: a little. Right. And Uh, do you regret thinking that way or do you think that was an important part of the process for you to kind of come through?
1: I think it was an important part to come through. It, it's sort of like um, it's it's kind of like the stage where you're negotiating with yourself. Right. Oh um, yeah. If I, it, I because it is like when you when you lose something, it, you know, if you lose function, it is a mourning process. And first is shock, and then you start saying, well okay, if I can just miss surgery, then, then I, I just won't walk fast anymore, or just something, (laughs) you know, it's not really rational. Uh, So it actually, it it took a while till I realized, no, this isn't gonna work. This is, I I can't live like this. It's just not, you know, it's not me.
0: Right. And then you, yeah, and then you found that inner strength within to, do the surgery and do the things that you needed to do. And I think that's, that's incredible. Yeah, Um, And I know that there's a community of people out there because unfortunately um, these ACL revisions and ACL issues do, um, do happen to a lot of people and it can be, Such a challenge to go through. And of course, any struggle in life as well, if it recurs, can be challenging. So I know that there are folks out there who would probably love to follow your journey. And Mm -hmm. um, if they would like to do so or message you privately, um, Debbie, will you share how they can get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I have uh, an Instagram account where I uh, post about my ACL and um, it is debs.acl. Uh, D E B S dot ACL. Great. On Instagram.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much um, for coming on the podcast. I I really appreciate you taking some time out during this crazy time um, to chat with me and uplift other women. And um, so thank you very, very much. Thanks a lot, Gina. Absolutely. And I will leave the listeners with one final piece from this conversation. And um, it's this. uh, Listeners, it's never too late to set another goal or to dream a new dream. Listen to Debbie. If you are going through hell right now, keep going. Because this difficult road that you're on, it may lead to a beautiful destination. And I have to believe um, in the midst of this health crisis that it will come to an end and that we will see see the beauty again. So keep persevering, keep on keeping on, and connected, we can rise.